Hey, thanks for joining us at Connection Point Church. You know, we would love for you to stay connected and a simple way for you to do that is to subscribe so that each week you can get notified when new content goes live. We'd also love to keep in touch with you throughout the week and the best way to do this is through our Connection Point Facebook page. Now with all that being said, let's go to this week's message with our lead pastor, Zach Maddox. And as I was getting into this word, questions started coming into my mind as it related to the topic we're gonna get into today. Questions I've, I've often heard people ask of how can a loving God send people to hell? Don't all religions end up in the same place? If someone's born into a Muslim family, how can God expect them to walk away from their family religion and choose to follow Jesus as Savior and Lord? Here's another one that everyone needs to contend with if they grew up in a Christian home. Am I a Christian only because I grew up in a Christian home? These and other questions like them are what have caused some to believe in something we call universalism, which is the idea that in the end, everyone will be saved. Or maybe another way of looking at it would be to claim that all roads lead to heaven. But the question is, is this true? Does scripture agree with this? Did Jesus believe this? In the end, will everyone be saved no matter what? This is what we're going to be discussing today as we continue our Better Together series with a message on Jesus and universalism. So if you have your Bibles, hey, I hope you do. If you're new to Connection Point, we say that because it's just kind of a weekly reminder that we really want to see you in God's Word. Uh, Yes, we're glad that we can gather and look at it together, but we want you looking at it daily so that it can inform the way in which you live your life in God's kingdom. So we're going to be in John chapter 14 today, the first seven verses. So I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Just to highlight, these are God's direct words to us, and, and we can make application of them to our life. So looking at John 14, verses 1 through 7, Jesus is speaking here. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. So we've been in a a Better Together message series for some months now to, to help us better understand who we are and what God intends us to accomplish together. Uh, we established last fall that we have a king. We live in a kingdom. God's word is our guide, and we have a mission to fulfill. Uh, I would say if you're new to Connection Point, it might be worthwhile for you to go back and listen to especially some of those first messages uh, because they were foundational to this understanding. Uh, You could go back and and look them up at connectionpointchurch.org and find it starts with Jesus and the good news of the kingdom. So you might want to do that. And what I'd like to do this morning is more fully unpack why it is such good news that Jesus came and that he's coming again. And as we do that, we're going to see that we really should follow Jesus. Everyone should follow Jesus. I loved going through this passage and just sitting in what the Lord was saying to the disciples. Jesus 
is the only one. As we look at why would we follow Jesus, here's, here's one, and we're just going to walk through several points today, because Jesus is the only one who can bring true peace to our lives. And talk about a year where we need a true peace, right? Jesus is the only one. So we should follow Jesus because he is the only one. So Jesus is having this final meal with his closest followers, and he has shared with them that one of them will betray him. He tells him he's going to a place that they cannot come. And this has the disciples worried, concerned, anxious. Uh, To people who have left everything to follow Jesus, to be told he's about to leave, that's disturbing at best. And so what does Jesus tell him? Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. So he encourages his followers to remain calm in the midst of the challenges that are about to come. And the way that they're to do that is by continuing to believe in God, to keep their eyes focused on Jesus. That's what he says is the answer. That's how we stay away from being troubled. In an uncertain world, the way that we remain calm is by continuing to put our faith in a God who is certain. Lots of uncertainties in the world, but God is not one of those. So if you want to know what people have put their faith in, watch how they react when the people they vote for don't get elected. Watch how they react when they lose their job. Watch how they react when they're given a cancer diagnosis. Watch how they react when something they own gets stolen or damaged. How a person reacts to the many challenges and trials that we face in this life, it reveals who or what they've put their faith in. It really does. But what does Jesus say? Let not. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So the question is, when challenges come, how do we respond? Do you take extra time to read scripture and pray so as to keep our eyes focused on Jesus? Do we make it a priority to spend time with other believers, either on a Sunday morning or in a life group, or do we separate ourselves? Because those are all choices. How you respond to the problems you face, it reveals a lot about where you've put your faith. So I would say, I'd encourage you, choose to keep your eyes on Jesus. And you can do that by engaging in a lot of those spiritual disciplines we talked about last fall. Scripture reading and prayer and fasting and rest and singing. We talked about all these things that we can do to help us stay focused on Jesus and not be distracted by the rest. And this matters because Jesus is the only one who can bring true peace to our lives. But why else should we follow Jesus? We should follow Jesus because he prepares a place in heaven for those who follow him. I think that's a pretty good reason. Uh, Some of my favorite places to visit in Israel are the villages in the Galilee region, uh, villages like Capernaum and Chorazin. Uh, So here's a picture of some of the first century ruins of Capernaum, ruins from the time of Jesus. Uh, It's kind of interesting, so it kind of looks like a UFO landed on the ruins, right? (laughs) So what they did, basically underneath uh, that building that's there is what is understood to be Peter's house. So they built a church on top of what used to be Peter's house, which is kind of cool. But those are the, the ruins in Capernaum. And so what we find and what we know about Capernaum is, is, of course, that's where Peter lived. It's where Jesus lived during his three years of active ministry, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, raised in Egypt and Nazareth, but he ministered out of Capernaum. That was his home base. And so what you're looking at there is a housing complex called an insula. Not everyone lived this way, but, but many people, particularly extended families, they combined living units around an open courtyard. So that's what you're looking at. This living arrangement allowed extended families to live, work, and interact with each other on a daily basis. As sons married, they built additional rooms to the family insula, and they brought their bride to come live with their extended family. And so what Jesus is doing in this passage we're in this morning is he's drawing on this insula imagery to give a picture of heaven 
which is God's housing complex. That's what he's doing. So he tells the disciples, do not be troubled. And you can do this by keeping your eyes on me and by remembering, I pray, prepare a place for you. Like that should give us some kind of level of God confidence. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus, I was thinking about, you know, he's our carpenter mason. So I love that he says he is preparing rooms for us. Isn't that awesome? Now, think about this. The creator of the heavens and the earth is personally preparing a room for you. Isn't that amazing? That should encourage you today. I I guarantee you it's going to be far better than anything you could have prepared for yourself. There is no housing crisis in heaven. God's got it all taken care of. Jesus, the creator of the world, he's personally preparing a place for you today. But this only happens, so let's be clear, he says it only happens for those who choose to follow him. But this is why it's so important that we do follow him. Good motivation. We should follow Jesus because he prepares a place in heaven for those who follow him. And we should follow Jesus because he's coming again to judge the world. He's coming again. When Jesus comes again, not only will he come to take his followers to the place he's prepared for them, he's coming again to judge the world. We know this through scripture. Reading from Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven. John, one of the disciples of Jesus, is given this vision, and so he's, he's recording it. He says, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. And why do the nations mourn? Because many will have chosen not to follow Jesus. And they're going to realize their error when Jesus shows up. That's why they mourn. Because here's what they're going to see. Revelation chapter 19. Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. For he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of Kings and Lord of lords. This king of kings and lord of lords is Jesus. He's coming again. And I want you to understand that's really good news because he's the only one that can set everything straight. But for those that don't know him, that's not great news. And so they mourn. And so then it becomes incumbent upon us, number one, help people follow Jesus, right? Because it's actually really good news that he's coming. But that's also why it's so important that we follow him because he is coming. And so the question is, are we ready? Are we ready to face the one who gave his life for us? Have we made that decision to follow Jesus? Have we confessed with our mouths and believed in our hearts that God raised him from the dead? Have you turned away from the life you used to live and started living for God? If not, I would say this, if you're here today in person or join us online, choose that today. There are so many wonderful reasons to follow Jesus. Because Jesus is coming again, that's one of them, to judge the world. But why else should we follow Jesus? We should follow Jesus because he is the way, the truth, and the life. After Jesus encourages the disciples to remain calm by focusing their eyes on him and and being confident that he prepares a place for them, Thomas expresses concern. 
He's just saying, it's hard for me to remain calm because, Jesus, I don't know where you're going. Thomas says, Jesus, I don't know the way. To which Jesus responds, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, Jesus shows us the way, and he is the way. Jesus shows us the way, and he is the way. He shows us the way through his teaching and life example. So he shows us the way to live. But Jesus is the way because of the work he did on the cross. So we talked about in communion this morning. Part of the reason people have believed that in the end everyone will be saved is because they have forgotten the message of the cross. They forget that that is required for us to have entrance into the kingdom of God. Reading from the New Testament book of John chapter 3, familiar verses if you've been a part of a church community. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fear their sins will be exposed." But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. So you see that God loves and so he sends because he knows there was no way entrance into the kingdom without that. But we still have to choose that. And what these verses tell us, sometimes we stop at God so loved the world he sent his son. Keep reading. Read the rest of that passage and see that there are consequences for those who choose not to follow Jesus because it's an act of rebellion. He is freely offered to all, but there still is a choice involved. So is God love? Absolutely. He loved us so much, he sent a solution for our sin, our evil hearts, the death of his perfect son on the cross. But to be saved, we must choose to believe in Jesus and the work he did on the cross. Otherwise, what's this passage say? We've judged ourselves. We've actually condemned ourselves. So is God love? Yes. But we have to remember that God is not only love. God is also just, and he is holy. And we want those things, by the way. Think about this. We who have been made in the image of God, we desire justice to be served in this life, don't we? And where do we think that comes from? It originates from a just God whose image we were made in. The value of justice originates with him. And hell, we find, is the just and fitting response for a person who commits the ultimate outrage of rejecting the grace of God. In Romans chapter 10, Paul, a New Testament follower of Jesus, he writes, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And in this text, we read both what we love about the Christian faith and maybe what we don't love about the Christian faith. Maybe you're thinking, is there something we don't love about following Jesus? Well, maybe, if we're honest with ourselves. Because in this verse, we read how the ability to follow Jesus, it's given to everyone whether they are American or Iranian, black or white, wealthy or impoverished, a teacher or a farmer, male or female, young or advanced in years. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And everyone means everyone. We love how inclusive the message of Jesus is. I love how inclusive that message is. We love how God died for everyone, and we are a part of that everyone. So we can't help but love that element of Christianity. 
But at the same time, this verse also implies people must call on the name of Jesus to be saved. That there is no other way. So in this, we find following Jesus is also exclusive. It requires a person calling on Jesus, the verse says. It requires a person believing in Jesus and turning their back on everything else, former ways of living. Everyone who calls in the name of Jesus, it's a conditional statement. God loves, he wants to save, he really does, in every way, but belief is required. So what about those people who have never heard about Jesus? Perhaps you've had that argument in your mind. I know I have. Could it be fair, could it be just for God to send such people to a Christless eternity? Which, of course, is a nice way of saying hell, because we don't like that word. And I'll be the first to say that and admit that. I don't like the exclusive piece of following Jesus. But guess what? It makes no difference whether I like it or not. If Jesus is king, if he is Lord, that means my opinions must line up with his, not the other way around. That's how this works. If Jesus is king, if he is Lord, then my opinions are the backseat to his. Otherwise, he's not my king. He's not my Lord, and I don't have a saving relationship with him. So we have to wrestle through this stuff. What does scripture have to say? What does Jesus have to say? What did his first century followers have to say about the exclusive nature of the Christian faith? We already know what Jesus had to say. No one comes to the Father except through him. It's pretty straightforward. Paul, a follower of Jesus, he writes believers in Rome, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And so what's Paul say? So they are without excuse. So what Paul is telling the church in Rome is that when people do not have specific revelation, when they do not have access to scripture or other believers, when they look into the heavens, they see the glory of God and all that he has made. But rather than worshiping God, they harden their hearts and they worship what was created instead of the creator. That's what happens. God has revealed himself through creation. It's what we call general revelation. In general revelation, it's enough to condemn, but it's not enough to save. You see, God doesn't judge us by what we don't have. He judges according to what we do have, and we all have plainly seen him in creation, but our human nature suppresses this truth. Everyone has a general revelation of who God is. But what about those who do have scripture? What about those that have access to what we call specific revelation? Basically, what about us? And whether you grew up in a Christian home or had access to the message of Jesus through a copy of the Bible or a church near your home or workplace or a Christian you knew, if you're here today, so let me say, you have had specific revelation. You have it. And here's what Romans chapter 2 has to say to all of us. You, therefore, have no excuse. So it's like he addresses general revelation, no excuse. We who have had specific revelation have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? So this is the bad news 
of the good news. The message of Jesus, let me be clear, it is good news. But to understand it's good news, we must first understand there is bad news. To understand we need a savior, we first have to understand we need saving. But when I talk with people, most everyone understands they're broken on some level and in need of saving. But it still seems hard for some people to agree with Paul's summary that we all have evil hearts, that we all fall short in our need of a savior named Jesus. But can I tell you, we do. We need saving. And the good news is, he came. We need saving, and it comes through Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, who provides us the way to life eternal because of his death on the cross. Jesus, who shows us the way through his teaching and life example. Jesus, who is truth, who is completely dependable, and who reveals the saving truth of the gospel. Jesus, who provides meaning and purpose in this life, and who is our source of eternal life. The way, the truth, and the life, it's revealing the many-sidedness of the saving work of Jesus. That's a big statement that Jesus makes there. Maybe this is still difficult for you, that a loving God would allow so many to have no knowledge of the gospel through specific revelation, of the good news that Jesus came to save them. Can I push back a little bit this morning to say there's no injustice with God? The injustice lies, if we want to be honest this morning, in Christians who possess the gospel, those who have been given specific revelation and who refuse to give their lives, making it known among those who have never heard, who only have general revelation. The injustice lies with us. There's no injustice with God. Every generation of Christians, let me be clear this morning, every generation of Christians is responsible for their generation of souls on earth. That's what we're responsible for. Those who have been given specific revelation of who Jesus is, they have the responsibility to share with others that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Which leads us to our last point this morning, that we must tell others about Jesus because all roads do not lead to heaven. We must tell others about Jesus because all roads do not lead to God. In recent years, there's actually been a number of Christians who have argued that, that God will end up saving everyone in the end. And this doesn't originate with them. The teaching actually goes back to around 250 AD. And it was dismissed, honestly, for a very long time, but it kind of came back into being around the 1800s. And in a book published about 10 years ago on this topic, the author suggests that every single person will embrace Jesus, if not in this life, then certainly in the next. So this is what he writes. At the heart of this perspective is a belief that given enough time, everybody will turn to God and find themselves in the joy and peace of God's presence. The love of God will melt every hard heart, and even the most depraved sinners will eventually give up their resistance and turn to God. That's what this author was writing. In this universalist view, it depends upon a person's ability to choose Jesus after death. If you, if you talk to someone who holds to this belief, that's what they're counting on. The problem is there are no passages in all of Scripture that say there will be a second chance after death to turn to Jesus. There's not one. No single passage as scripture describes, hints at, hopes for, or suggests that someone who dies can make a decision to follow Jesus after having the opportunity in this life to have done so. So it's not even like we need to spend any time talking about those passages to explain what those are. They simply don't exist. And really, here's the thing. I'm not trying to settle a doctrinal issue here. We're talking about people's eternal destinies. That's why this is so important this morning. The thought that someone may end up banking on a second chance after they die, even though the biblical authors never said this, to be honest, it's terrifying. 
It's terrifying to me. We can't be wrong on this one. To make a compelling case that the love of God will melt every hard heart and even the most depraved sinners will eventually give up their resistance and turn to God without clear biblical evidence, it's incredibly dangerous. Incredibly dangerous. Scripture does not say there's a second chance after death. Some universalists will argue, well, there are also no scriptures that say you don't have an opportunity after death to make a decision to follow Jesus. That Jesus never said that, except he did. Uh, over and over again, actually, and in lots of different ways. Luke chapter 16, I preached on Luke for three years, so I'm going to bring it back up now. <laughs> Here's what Jesus says. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried and in Hades, being in torment. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he's comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from here from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that they, uh, he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. A person in Hades would like to, number one, get out. That option isn't afforded him. Number two, could you send someone to tell his family before they die? Why? Because he understands there is no second chance after death. And what is shared, they have specific revelation and it is enough. So what do we do with it? Now we could read from Luke chapter 13, verses 22 to 29, where Jesus encourages the disciples to strive to enter through the narrow door because once the master of the house has shut the door, there is no second chance, Jesus says. Now I will say we gotta be careful if uh, any of you have studied theology on building theology off parables, but we don't even need, just need to look there. We've got lots of other places we can look. Matthew chapter seven, some of the scariest verses in the Bible for any Western Christian. I'll share them with you. Now everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, not everyone, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I would think those guys would like a second chance, right? It's not afforded to them. Never will you find that. In all of scripture, there's so many scriptures that I could get into. Even the one that we've talked about in terms of we have a mission to fulfill. Matthew 24, 14, where Jesus says, and this gospel will be preached until all hear, and then the end will come. So let me say this. If there was an opportunity after death, Jesus could have already come, right? We don't need to still be here. But that hasn't happened. Why? Because Jesus knows there's a mission to fulfill and his church has it. But I wanna say this before I get into this last passage. What a wonderful lie of the enemy to tell us people have a second chance. It demotivates us, right? 
to do what God has asked us to do and take on the responsibility before all of us. And why would he want that? Does the enemy want Jesus to return? No. I almost said heck no or something else, but no. (laughs) Why? He knows what happens when Jesus returns. Anything he can do to delay the return of Jesus is in his favor. It's to his benefit. But that's why it's so important we don't buy into the lies of the enemy. Because here's what the New Testament book of Revelation has to say. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books, in the plural. You ever read that? Caught that before? That there's books. Why? There's the book of life, but I believe there's also what have we done with that which we have had? And those are recorded too. The sea gave up its dead, and the death and grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. What we see in scripture over and over is that all will stand before Jesus and give an account for the lives that they've lived. There's no second chances after death. This passage says that we will be judged according to what we have done with what we had while we were alive on earth. First of all, what did we do with the death of Jesus on the cross? Did we honor it? Did we respond to it? Did we respond to what Jesus did by confessing with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believing in our hearts that God raised him from the dead? If we didn't, then his sinless death does not cover our sinful lives and we do not have our names written in the book of life. That's what this passage is saying. If we did respond, so let me say this, that's number one. What did we do with what Jesus did on the cross? But number two is, If we did respond to what's called that atoning work of Jesus, I mentioned it, what he did on the cross. The next question is, what did we do with the saving message that we responded to? What did we do with it? Did we, who were given specific revelation, share that message with others and our neighborhoods and networks? Did we make a sacrificial effort to make sure to share it with those who only have general revelation? That's what God's wondering. One of the concerns I have with Christians in America is I I don't know that we really take this responsibility as seriously as we should. I think there's a lot that can distract us in this life that we live from it. If you are born into a Christian home, consider this. Spiritually speaking, you won the lottery. You won the lottery. You and I have been given incredibly easy access to what 40% of this world does not. And so then the question is, what are we gonna do with what we've been given? For us who have been given specific revelation of who Jesus is, the question is, how are we going to spend those lottery dollars? How are we going to spend them? Will we keep them all to ourselves, or will we spend it liberally with those who don't know? And I'm not just talking about actual dollars, by the way. That's just a metaphor. But at the same time, that could include actual dollars. It's all of it. How will we spend our time the spiritual and natural gifts that that God has given us? How will we spend our financial resources for the sake of those who don't have a saving knowledge of who Jesus is? How will we spend our lives? What deeds will we have written in the books that are opened on Judgment Day when we stand before Jesus, our Savior, and judge? I was thinking about this in the context of, you know, tomorrow, Shelly and I, we're going to board a plane with five of our high school seniors and Mark and Ashley our student ministry pastors, and we're going to land in a country as a population of 33 million people, 99% of them Muslim, 1% Jewish, and not enough Christians to count. It's about one Christian 
for every 100,000 people. So I'd be like two Christians and all of Greater Lafayette. Pretty hard for them to reach Greater Lafayette that way. And as we travel, we basically know every person we see in that country is lost without a saving knowledge of Jesus, while a lot of us carry on with life here as what I would say as functional universalists. And here's what I mean by that. I know a lot of us do agree with most of what I've shared this morning, that Jesus is the only way to have a saving relationship for all of eternity. Most would agree with that. But the problem a lot of us face is we wind up so distracted in our day-to-day activities, we end up leading universalistic lives. Let me explain that further. That we might claim Jesus is necessary for salvation, but it seems the default in our culture is to live out our Christianity in silence. As if the people around us and the unreached people in places like Morocco will indeed be okay in the end without Christ. I don't think we mean to live that way, but I think the enemy's done a good job of distracting us in such a way that that's how we wind up living. It does us no good to gather and sing on a Sunday and not go out talking about Jesus on Monday. It just doesn't. When our teams in Morocco will go and visit a village in the Rift Mountains in northwest Morocco where no Christians reside, we will go to dinner and be served soft drinks and a red Coke can, which means a soft drink company in Atlanta has done a better job getting brown sugar water to the Berbers in that village than we've done in getting the message of Jesus to them. That bothers me. It bothers me. I find it interesting that one of the most common questions asked today among Christians is, what is God's will for my life? How do I find it? It's like people are just waiting to obey God if God would just show them what to do. But with over 100,000 people in greater Lafayette and almost 33 million Moroccans, living without a saving relationship, so locally and globally, I just don't think it makes a whole lot of sense to sit and ask, what do you want me to do, God? The answer is clear. The will of God is for you and for me to give our lives urgently and recklessly to making the gospel known among all people, particularly those who have never heard, who have only had general revelation. This is why we've been talking so much in the last six months and the last year about people finding their place in the kingdom of God. I've shared it before, I'll say it again. There is no replacing you in the kingdom of God. There is no replacing you. God has prepared specific good works for you to do to advance his kingdom. And the question is, are you finding those things? That we all bear responsibility to advance God's kingdom in our networks and neighborhoods and to advance his kingdom in places that only have a general revelation. So how are you doing in getting that accomplished? So I wanna circle back and encourage you this morning. Find your place. Man, find your place. My hope is this message provides you with even greater clarity and motivation on doing so. You can join one of our serve teams. So think about simple ways to do it. Jump on one of our serve teams here with guest services or kids or youth or young adults. Make an impact here because I can tell you every Sunday, somebody comes in with questions about who Jesus is. Simply by serving here on a Sunday, you're making a difference in the kingdom of God. That's one very simple way to do it. But there's also a number of resources to help you find your place as a good news carrier. Because what I have found is, number one, maybe people don't know what to do, or number two, they feel ill-equipped to do it. So a couple of really easy resources. I know you're going to be surprised. I'm recommending a couple books. See? Pastors got books. Really? They're surprised this morning. (laughs) Here's, Here's three. I've already talked about Find Your Place this year. A really great way for you to identify. God gave you gifts. And I don't know about you, but it's sure fun to open up gifts from God. So why not find what those are 
and find meaning and fulfillment there. So this is a, a great resource to help you find that. Another one, 42 seconds. A real simple way to figure out how to share Jesus. Really easy. Following the example of Jesus, the book is 42 seconds because there, there was a guy that basically measured out the interactions Jesus had and came to the sum total that Jesus spent about 42 seconds with people sometimes and impacted their lives forever. So that's pretty powerful. So he basically talks and lays out, be kind, say hello, be present, be in people's lives, and be brave, share Jesus in word and action. Because I do think one of the things we do is we like to engage in good deeds, and that's a good thing to do, let me say that. But here's the problem, if you engage in that good deed but then don't talk about Jesus, what you're doing is saying, look at me, I'm a good person, instead of look at God, he's a great God. So make sure we do both. Do good deeds, but share Jesus' words. Both are really important. So be kind, be present, be brave. Last one, surprise the world. So here, I want you to notice, look at how small this book is, right? Thank you, pastor, for small books. Small books, you're welcome. I knew that you were gonna say that. But this is a real simple way. So he lays out BELLS. Those, that's the acronym he uses of things that you can do. Just engaging in regular rhythms in your week to week. And as you just engage in those rhythms, you wind up sharing Jesus in very powerful ways. What you're meant to do is just by the way you live your life. So it's not like you have to do extra things. It's just start doing the right things. And this is meant to lead you in that, in that way as well. So my encouragement is grab a resource this summer. Just one of them. So don't read them all. I mean, some of you are like A+. Plus, Students, you're going to have to. But you know, I don't mean for that to be. I've given you options. So pick one, work through it this summer, and find a way to start sharing Jesus in meaningful ways this next year. But can I tell you, there's something even better than books. It's called the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament book of Acts chapter 2, we find the disciples waiting in Jerusalem after Jesus has ascended to heaven. They were waiting in Jerusalem for what's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And once that happened, once they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, people who were once afraid now had boldness to proclaim. Peter, who denies Christ three times, preaches 3,000 saved and baptized. That wasn't Peter, that was God. So I encourage you, if you don't know anything about Holy Spirit baptism, we've got uh, resources online, messages that have been shared, wonderful messages from wonderful people that talk about what Holy Spirit baptism is. And if you have questions about how to pursue that, just email me, call the office. We're happy to pray with you. Come and visit with one of our prayer teams on a Sunday. Say, you know what, can you pray with me to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Our prayer team members would be like, yes! We'd be happy to do that. Why? Because we want you empowered by the Spirit of God. We can't do this on our own. But God can do it through you, and he wants to do it through you. So if you didn't know before, you should follow Jesus. I hope it's clear. Man, you should follow Jesus. There's really good reasons to do it. If you didn't know before that as a follower of Jesus, you're responsible to share what you know with others. Now you know. If you have felt ill-equipped to share the good news that Jesus came to save us, now you have access to resources that can equip you. And most important is the Holy Spirit. And this is all incredibly important because all roads don't lead to God. They don't. So I encourage you, follow Jesus, because he is the only one who can bring true peace. Follow Jesus, because he's preparing a place in heaven for those who confess him as Lord. Follow Jesus, because he's coming back to judge the world. Follow Jesus, because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Follow Jesus, and then share his good news in word and action, so that others might have opportunity to follow him too. Our music team is gonna come back this morning and they're gonna close us out in song. Before they come, I just wanna share a final story with you that 
David Platt, he, he shares a story in his book, Radical, of sitting outside a Buddhist temple in Indonesia. And here's what he writes. Men and women had filled this elaborate, colorful temple grounds where they daily performed their religious rituals. Meanwhile, I was engaged in a conversation with a Buddhist leader and a Muslim leader in this particular community. They were discussing how all religions are fundamentally the same and only superficially different. We may have different views about small issues, one of them said, I, I, but when it comes to, down to the essential issues, each of our religions is the same. I listened for a while, and then they asked me what I thought. I said, it sounds as though you both picture God or, or whatever you call God at the top of a mountain. It seems as if you believe that we are all at the bottom of the mountain. I can take one route up to the mountain, you could take another, but in the end, we all end up in exactly the same place. They smiled as I spoke happily. They replied, exactly, you understand. Then I leaned in and said, now let me ask you a question. What would you think if I told you that the God at the top of the mountain actually came down to where we are? What would you think if I told you that God doesn't wait for people to find their way to him, but instead he comes to us? They thought for a moment and then responded, that would be incredible. I replied, let me introduce you to Jesus. This is the gospel. As long as you and I understand salvation as checking off a box to get to God, we'll find ourselves in the meaningless sea of world religions that actually condemn the human race by exalting our supposed ability to get to God. There's no way to do it. Jesus already did it. Will we choose his way? But on the other hand, when you and I realize that we are morally evil, dead in sin, and deserving of God's wrath, with no way out on our own, we begin to discover our desperate need for Jesus. We all have a desperate need for Jesus. Our friends, our family do, our neighbors do. My prayer is that the Lord compels us to share with those who haven't. But I also pray that if you're here today and have never made a decision to follow Jesus, he compels you today to do so by his spirit. So I'm gonna invite you to stand as we close in song this morning. And as you're standing, I wanna ask, are you here today, whether you're in person or online, and you realize you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, but today you'd like to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You're ready for that today. Right now you can make the most important decision of your life, this decision to follow Jesus. With every head bowed and, and I close this morning, this is your moment. What I want to invite you to do is simply raise your hand to say, I want to follow Jesus today. I need to make that decision. If you're joining online, you can make a comment there. Tim, Tim will connect with you. But who here today would say, I want to follow Jesus? Over here on the right, anybody else? Anybody else that would say, that's me? I want to follow Jesus. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for those that raised their hand or maybe those that connected online. I pray, Jesus, that you would fill them with your spirit. And Jesus, that they would be filled with your peace, your love, your joy. God, I pray against anything the enemy would do to distract them from that decision they made today that would want to take that from them. But Lord Jesus, I just pray that they respond wholeheartedly in a way that says, I'm turning away from anything before and now I'm going to focus my eyes on Jesus, the one who keeps me from trouble, the one who saves me and prepares a place for me. God, I just pray that you would help them to be secure in your kingdom today and for all days. 
May we come alongside them and encourage them in the way that they follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The second question this morning is, feel free to come, music team, you're fine. <laughs> you know what? That's good. They do that to me all the time. I never know when they're going to end a song. So I'm like, I'll go up and I'm going to go back. That's all right. Hey, what goes wrong comes around. <laughs> a lot of us have made a decision to follow Jesus. But the question is, what are you doing with it? We've talked a lot about that. We've, we've worked to equip people. And there's still work to be done. And that's okay. But I guess what I'd like to put before you today is, could you make a commitment? Maybe a renewed commitment? That I'm going to make sure that I share Jesus. I would say this. Here's a good place to start. Begin in prayer. Start praying today, tomorrow morning, you know, whenever you do your abiding time. Let me say, if you don't do abiding time, start there. Start with abiding time. <laughs> Pray for divine appointments. And you might be surprised at what opportunities arise in your day because of it. You basically then get to start living an adventure with Jesus. Like, God, can't wait to see what's going to happen today. Who are you going to bring across my path? And he'll do it. You know who has a bigger heart for the lost than you? Our Heavenly Father. So if you want a prayer that will be answered, it's that one. Pray my Father's will, it will be done. That's, that's one of those prayers. So my encouragement is maybe start in prayer. So as we sing, my encouragement would be just begin to verbalize to God, Jesus, I recommit myself to you today to share you in my networks and neighborhoods. We are only responsible for those that are around us to be able to provide that specific revelation, but then also to places like Morocco. That's why we send our youth there who only have general revelation. So we do both, but your first, your primary, your place of ministry is neighborhoods and networks. And then you branch out from there and that's why we do kingdom builders. So as we close in song, just recommit yourself to that today and trust that God's gonna lead you on the adventure of a lifetime as you choose to start sharing him with others and trust him for the work. It's not you convincing somebody, it's the work of the Holy Spirit in their life anyway. But God wants to use you for that. So as we close in song, just recommit yourself today.